All right, welcome Crown Council members to the Mentor of the Month program. This is Stuart Anderson with just a short introduction before we get on with our interview with uh, John Acuff. Grateful to have John with us at this interview. Uh, Steve and I interview him as he shares about his new book, Soundtracks. We're so excited for uh, John to join us. He's been with us many times at the annual events, and we consider him a great friend. So hold on for him. Uh, A couple announcements. One is Smiles for Life, the uh, registered charity of the Crown Council for the last 25 years. We're grateful for all those who are supporting and working on Smiles for Life right now. There is still time to participate. If you're not signed up, we would love to have you join us in the whitening campaign. Uh, Call the office. That's the best way to get in touch is 1-800-276-9658 or visit smilesforlife.org for all the information on participating. We would obviously love to have you be part. We're looking forward to our Dallas annual event in 2022. It's our live event, our annual gathering of all Crown Council members and their teams. Registration is filling up fast. Everybody wants to get back together live. We already have over a 1,000 of the Crown Council members signed up to join us in Dallas. So space will run out. Uh, Register now at ccannualevent.com. We've got room for about 200 more attendees before the hotel is full. So join us at our annual gathering in Dallas uh, in January of 2022. We'd love to see you then. So that's it. Let's get on with our podcast with John. Grateful to have him and thankful for all you who are uh, listening with us. All right. Thanks. All right. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Stuart Anderson here with Steve Anderson and John Aka. Welcome, everybody. We are uh, grateful to have John with us. We have a, an awesome history with John that takes us back all the way to one of our most, I guess we call him our most famous, one of our all-star members, Dr. Dennis Wells, who takes care of John's oral health. And uh, Dr. Wells introduced us to John back in 2015 when he presented his book, Do Over. John, you remember that? That was a classic. That was a long, that feels like 19 years ago. 2020 <laughs> was nine years. So 2015 <laughs> feels a long time ago. And then, uh, and then three years after that, he came back to the stage and shared his book, Finish, uh, Give Yourself the Gift of Done, which is actually, John, if you didn't know it, a very rare feat getting on the stage of the annual event twice, very elite club. So congratulations. Do I get a code or anything? Is this like Saturday Night Live when you host five times? Like it's gold. I mean, coat? If, yeah. Some, a blazer. I'm not, I'm just spitballing. You get a gold blazer. Yeah. yeah there you go. Put some patches down the side. Yeah. Oh, nice. Like NASCAR kind of like, or like Ohio state Buckeyes. I'll get stickers uh-huh. on my helmet. <laughs> so, um, John has a new book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution of Overthinking, and how awesome, John, we already talked about this uh, on your social media, that it's it's a New York Times bestseller after two weeks, which is amazing considering you haven't done any live events because of coronavirus. So it speaks a lot to the the popularity and how sticky this little subject is. Uh, John's written six other bestsellers through uh, New York Times bestseller list. It's so fun to watch John. He's got uh, a huge group of followers on Twitter, over 30,000 and over 100,000. 300,000. What did I say? Yeah, 30. He said 30,000. 300,000. I'm just going to jump in and go like, let's let's amp that up a little bit. 125,000 followers on Instagram. And it's such a fun uh, blend of humor and honesty. And obviously last year, a lot of hope. John really connects with Steve and I because he loves to ski a snowbird. 
which is a very special place for us where we learn to shred uh, the powder at, at Snowboard. So we love when John comes here and kind of spends his time in Utah. And uh, I, I'm gonna go ahead and, and put this out here as the end of the introduction that this could be our biggest claim to fame, Steve, is that um, when John opened the Gift of Music Benefit Concert at the Ryman Auditorium in 2020 at our last annual event, he uh, got to introduce Dolly Parton at, at the show that we planned and put on as a charity concert uh, for the Gift of Music Benefit. So you've heard John talk about Dolly. It was so fun to see you introduce her and be on the stage with all those great stars. And uh, anyway, a lot of fun connections with you, John. So we're grateful to have you on today. And uh, uh, what we're hoping to do is, is you might've heard John's podcast. You might've heard what he, what he shares on his own um, All It Takes is a Goal podcast. But what we're hoping to do today is connect some of the principles from soundtracks to your dental practices office culture, um, which is just a collection of an agreed upon soundtrack inside your practice. So we're, we're hopefully gonna set you guys up in a way where this connects very personal to your dental practice. So uh, John, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I, I love this. I told the story, the Dolly story in the book. So I've yes, done so yeah. many fun events with you. I can't wait for another live one. Um, Dr. Wells is just my favorite person. His team is fantastic. Um, and so it's always, and I've done so many events related to Crown Council. That's what's great is when you get to be around great people, you discover other great people. So when I'm at Crown Council, I get to discover the Mortensen Group and I get to go do other events. And so I'm so grateful for all the people you guys have introduced me to across the country. You bet. Maybe we could start out with the subtitle of the book. Sure. Uh, before we talk about soundtracks, why don't you tell us what overthinking is? Yeah, so I define overthinking as when what you want gets in the, or when what you think gets in the way of what you want. It's all these thoughts that prevent you from actually doing the thing you want to do. And I, the PhD researcher that I work with, Mike Peasley, he and I asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking, and 99.5% of people said yes. And this was before 2020. 2020 was catnip for overthinking. Um, and, and I always say like, because everything is a thing right now, everything in life is a thing. Somebody went to shake my hand the other day and right before I shook it, I thought, should I refuse? Should I give him an elbow bump? Should I give him a fist bump? Should I shake it, but then put my hand into like a whole vat of hand sanitizers and say, <laughs> excuse me, while I wash this deadly pandemic that you just tried to murder me and my grandparents with, is this a handshaking room? What does it say about us politically? Two years ago, do you know what I thought when somebody shook my hand? Nothing. Now everything has thought. And so that's where overthinking gets really, really loud. It's all these thoughts that get in the way of what you really want to do. Got it. Okay. So uh, let's take that as today's environment. We're thinking through things that have been raised to our awareness level. How do I know if I'm overthinking? In okay, other words, so the easiest... The easiest way to determine, because that's a great question. A lot of times people say, you know, maybe I'm just analytical. Maybe I like to be prepared, man. You know, I'm a dentist. I'm detailed. I just like to be detailed. I like to have my information. And so here's the difference. The difference between being prepared and overthinking is that being prepared always leads to a decision and an action. Overthinking always leads to overthinking. 
That's all it leads to more overthinking. So if you said to me, John, I just like being prepared. I go, well, show me what you've launched. Show me what you've done. Show me the actions you've taken. If you can't show me that, I'd say you might be stuck with being, you know, in an overthinking loop. And, and here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, I just don't want to move until I have all the information. I can't make a decision until I have all the information. I've got terrible news. We haven't lived in an all world for a hundred years. We <laughs> haven't lived in an all the information. Like there's too much information. The goal is to have enough. So a soundtrack that you can use in your practices, we have enough information to make this decision. Not we're waiting for all the information. It's like all is not coming. It's just not, there's too much information but enough is something you can execute against. Perfect. Okay. In your, uh, and thanks for the, the clarification there because uh, there is a balance. Sure. So uh, when we talk about soundtracks, which are the, the stories, as you talk about the stories we tell ourselves, the things that we think, you talk in your book about three things that we should ask ourselves about our thoughts. What are those? Yeah. So here's what I'd say. If you, if you really want to understand, if you have a broken soundtrack, if you're overthinking something that's broken, the first thing you do is write down a desire. It, the desire could be something small. It could be, I want to ask somebody out. It could be something large. I want to open another location. I want to scale my business. I'm going to like, I've got this thing and it's working and I want to scale it. It can be, I want to write a book. I want to have my own podcast, write down a desire and then listen to the thoughts that come next. Listen to your reaction. Because every reaction is an education. Every reaction is an ex education. So when you hear that, you ask that idea, this loud thought, not all your thoughts. You have more than 6,000 thoughts a day. Who has time to ask their thoughts all the questions? Three questions for your loud thoughts. Number one, is it true? Is this thing I'm thinking right now true? Number two, is it helpful? When I think it, does it move me forward or hold me back? And number three, is it kind? Would I say this to a friend? Would I say this to a coworker? And if you can't say yes to all those questions, it might be a broken soundtrack that's not helping your life. And there are some things that are true. You might say right now, John, I have this soundtrack in my head that says I'm not ready to open another location. That might be true. But does listening to that over and over and repeat help you? Does it move you forward or hold you back? And if a friend said to you, hey, I'm thinking about opening another other location, would you say you can't? You're so unqualified. You should never be able to do that. Would you say that to somebody else, to another dentist? They would go, wow, that's really discouraging. So it might be true, but if it's not helpful and kind, you probably don't need to listen to it. I'm, so in, I, in, oh, in, in today's world, uh, which is we got a whole nother layer of complexity like you've talked about, let's start with question number one, because differentiating and, and that first question, is it true? Sometimes it's hard to figure out if it's true. Yeah. yeah. And again, sometimes it is, which is why it's never just one question. So for instance, I don't know how to podcast. Maybe you want to start a podcast and you go, I don't know how to start a podcast. That's, that's true. But you should add the word yet. I don't know yet. And you know, anytime you're serving a patient and you like, you run into something you don't know, you should never say, I don't know. Cause that ends the sentence that you're going, I don't know. And I don't care. 
you would say, I don't know yet, but we're got my, me and my team are going to figure that out. So you're I, constantly, you're constantly. I don't know how to, to do, I don't know how to do a root canal yet, but we'll figure it out, John. Yeah, yeah. We'll, well if you, things. if they came to you and said, I need a root canal and you don't know how to do those, you're in the wrong business. Like you're like, get out of dentistry. Like you either have somebody, you know, who does, or you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So is it true? Is it helpful? And I love your third question, especially in today's world. Is it kind, uh, not only to yourself, but to other people as well? Well, and here's the thing, Steve. So Google spent millions of dollars, millions of dollars to figure out what are the best teams that Google have in common. They did 180 different teams, 35 different statistical models. And the number one thing that the best teams had in common was psychological safety. And psychological safety is the ability to do three things. Ask questions, admit you are wrong, and submit new ideas in a way that you won't be judged unkindly. So kind sounds soft or maybe holistic, or you're going to chant and burn sage in a drum circle. But ultimately, it's about, okay, can I do those three things? And if your team can't submit ideas, if they can't ask questions, if they can't admit they're wrong, you won't have a healthy team and they won't be as high performing as they could be. John, so, I, love, I, love the, I love the story you shared of the photographer that asked you about his hotel in the book. Um, yes. I just thought it was such a great example of this, like when someone does approach you with, uh, and could you tell that story about how you responded to his to his? Yeah, reply? poorly. The short version is poorly. Um, I was on a flight with a, a world-renowned photographer um, he's been, you know, Forbes called him one of the most influential photographers on the internet. His name's Jeremy Cowart. And we are flying to Portland to speak at an event. And he said, I've been working on this new idea. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's a hotel. And then he told me this idea about, he wants to build a hotel called the purpose hotel where every part of it serves a community. So there's a charity water well in the lobby and every part of it has purpose. And my face said, that's a dumb idea. And my word said, are you sure? And I kind of was like, you're just a photographer. And he told me years later that crushed me. And somebody who didn't react that way is Horst Schultze, the co-founder of the Ritz Carlton. He's part of that project. And so I decided that, okay, when somebody tells me a new idea, my new soundtrack, the things I think I'm going to actively listen to is that curiosity beats criticism curiosity beats criticism. And so when somebody gives you a new idea, there's plenty of time to poke holes in it later, or be devil's advocate or whatever you want to do. But initially curiosity beats criticism, especially in a COVID world. Think about every office, every dental office that had to do things they'd never done before. If their first response is to criticize them and go, that's not how we do things here. You're stuck. You're mm -hmm. stuck. Instead, you should, instead of saying that won't work here, you should say, I wonder how that could work here. All that you're doing is shifting a couple words, but it's a huge soundtrack shift and it helps your team actually grow. Big difference. Uh, you mentioned the Google research uh, and you mentioned a, a number of different research that you've included in your book. What was the most surprising thing you learned from the research that you reviewed for the book? Well, I mean, the, the most surprising thing to me was that like positive thinking matters and has an ROI. Like I'm a, I'm a sarcastic 
skeptical person. I think skepticism is good. I think cynicism is bad. And I think one leads to the other sometimes if you're not careful, but I'm a sarcastic person. Like I grew up with serenity now where a character on Seinfeld was repeating positive statements and was went crazy or like, you know, Sarah live. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People like me. So what surprised me was I kept meeting leaders who were really successful who had great companies and the kind of lives that I'd like to have. And if I could get them off camera, off mic, and I'd say, Hey, what do you, what do you think about positive thinking? Like, what do you think about that? They'd all go, well, I got a, I got a pep talk. I give myself, or, Hey, I've got some mm -hmm. affirmations I say, or, Hey, I've got some declarations. I've got some things. And so I was like, shoot, I'm going to have to research this. Like I'm going to have to investigate positive thinking. And so the research process and how positive thinking actually has an ROI. Like I didn't study positive thinking to feel better. I studied it to perform better. And that's what happens when you're deliberately going, okay, I'm going to lean into affirmations. I'm going to lean into positive thinking. Um, that was the biggest surprise for me. Got it. All right. So you share the three R's in your book. You give us a quick overview of those. Sure. Um, the challenge with most books about thinking or mindset is they can be really holistic and fuzzy and you go like, okay, well, what do I actually do with this on a Thursday? Like, that's always my goal. Whenever I'm on your stage, like I want people to have tangible things. So the three things you do is you retire broken soundtracks. You find the soundtracks that aren't true, kind or helpful. The second thing is you replace them with new ones. Um, and the third thing you do is you repeat the new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones. Most people don't understand that they get to choose their thoughts. They get to create their thoughts. Most people think a thought is something you have, not something you hone. And so that's where you go, okay, I get to replace these. I get to choose these. And, and new thoughts lead to new actions, which lead to new results, which ultimately leads to a new life and a new practice and new success. Fantastic. Well, let me start with the thoughts. That's the three R's. Retire replace, repeat. So let's talk about what you do if the undesirable soundtrack is not your own. So you talk a lot in the book about personal application. Sure. Let's talk about organizational application. And if the soundtracks going on around me are not productive, how do I change? Yeah. So the first <laughs> thing you do is you try to figure out the actual what are our actual soundtracks we have right now in our office? What are they? And you start a conversation. And here's the thing, Steve. If your team goes, we're amazing. Everything's amazing. You're the best boss ever. You don't have psychological safety because they don't feel like they can tell you the truth. If they say there's nothing to fix, one of the most useless questions that's ever asked is when a manager at a restaurant walks by your table and goes, how is everything? And they're, they're in stride. They don't want to know. They want you to say, it's great. And they're going to keep on moving and check the box. So if you as a leader, you have to be brave and humble enough to go, hey, I really want to understand what's our actual. I really want to understand that. And so then you go actual and then you go, okay, aspirational. What's our aspirational? Like if this is the best dental practice in the world, what would our soundtracks be? What would we as a team believe about each other, about this practice, about how we care for people? And then you look at the gap between those two things and you go, okay, how big is the gap? Like, how big is it? And again, you as a leader have to be willing for people to tell you things you might not want to hear. Um, if you want a healthy team, um, you know, for me, I had my, my project manager a month ago came up to me and she said, Hey, you know what soundtrack I thought of when we had that last meeting, I thought, I wish John would show up before his impatience. 
She said, you showed up with tremendous impatience. You were sarcastic and abrupt and short, and it ruined the team meeting and it set us back six other meetings. And she was right. And that was not fun to hear, but I had a bunch of stress about launching a book that I brought to the wrong meeting. And so I had to apologize to the team. If she doesn't have that freedom to tell me those things, and then I don't have the ability to respond to those things, it only takes about an hour to have a toxic environment. All right. So, for, so great questions. Um, if, if we were the best. Team- I like great. You're the one asking them. Great questions, Steve. Like no, Steve, so- I'm telling you, I thought you're saying your questions are great. My no, questions they are. Been so, great. So what you're recommending is we sit down as a team and we talk about what are our actual soundtracks versus if we were the best of the best, what would our actual soundtracks be? So actual versus aspirational. So what are our actual today? What are, what are we aspiring to? If somebody said, you know, if we were the best, like imagine it this way, you're at a dinner party and you describe your office, you describe your job, you describe your team. What would you be saying that makes that person sitting next to you go, oh, I would love to work at that practice. I would love to be there. What, you know, how would you describe that? What are the stories you tell? So yeah, and then you figure out, okay, is the gap small? Is it large? How do we, you know, and you have to give people the freedom to do that. I once worked at a company where I was managed um, by, by this woman and she had me as a direct report and one other person and the company would go, Hey, we want honest feedback about how she's doing. And we would look at each other and go, there's two of us. She's going to guess which one of us said this. So remember, this is our turn to give compliments. Like that's not a way to get honest feedback. So you have to figure out a way. Okay. How do I create a space where the team doesn't feel like it's a booby trap? Like if you as a leader, if your first response is have a disclaimer or get defensive, you're telling them, remember, never tell me the truth. Like, I don't want to know the truth. I want you to tell the truth to each other in the break room, but by all means, don't tell it to me. Like I'll put on a mug that I have an open door policy, but if you come through my door and give me some feedback that I don't want to hear, forget it. Like it shuts teams down. And then what happens is your hygienists leave the best parts of themselves in the parking lot. So you're getting partial employees because they don't feel like they can be fully true inside the office. Excellent. All right. So we're going to step into the dental office here for just a moment, John. And we're Which gonna... I love. I love the dental office. Yes, you do. Your mom's a hygienist. Yep. And uh, you're a big fan of uh, some of our crown, well, all of our crown council offices because you've been in front of all of them. Yep. Uh, so we have extracted some dental office soundtracks for you. Let's do uh, it. You have not been forewarned on this. Nope. Uh, so we're going to give you an opportunity to re-script some of the most common uh, unproductive dental office sounds, uh, soundtracks. And I love this. I told you guys before we got on air, I've done 50 podcasts and no one's done this approach. And I love it. So I think <laughs> okay. this is going to be fun. All right. So, and you can add as much commentary on this as you want in terms of, uh, you know, there's backstory to all of these. There's cultural background, obviously. So it's not just changing the sentence, but all right. So these aren't in any particular order. Uh, So here's the first one. Uh, This is in a a team meeting. This might be uttered or might be self-talk. Here we go again, talking about the same thing over and over and nothing ever changes. Well, the first, the first thing I'd say is broken soundtracks always travel in absolutes. Nothing, never, 
everyone else forever. So right away, I already know it's a broken soundtrack. Yes. Because even if you're a terrible office, something is changing. Nothing, it's never absolute. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I would say, okay, I would change that soundtrack to how can we change in some, some small sustainable ways to work our way to big changes? Like that's the problem. A lot of times we go, we want to change everything. When somebody tells me my goal is to get into the best shape of my life, I know they're never going to because that's too intense. It is. So what I would say there are in that moment, I would say, how can we as a team look for small, sustainable changes over the next year? Because instead of like, see what that person is saying is you as a leader have promised me big things that you never fulfilled. So now anytime, every time you make a promise as a leader and you don't keep it, the next promise is harder to believe. So that person is saying, I believed you in the past. I got my hopes up. You dash them. So I, as a leader would say, how do we together as a team, ownership, ownership, buy-in, make some small sustainable changes over the next year? And uh, to add on to that, John, if I'm a team member saying this, uh, then uh, maybe a rescript might be, what's one thing I can do out of what we've talked about to make a productive change? Or I, I believe in change and would like to see some made. What are some changes I can help? Versus going nothing ever. You're part of the nothing in that story, by the way. Like, what's, you know, like, because what you're really saying, like, that's the thing is that your passion is turned into a poison because you're disappointed. Like, you've had your hopes up before. And so if I can get that person to buy in and admit, okay, yes, yeah, some things, there were some big change. We tried something for a month and it was flashy and then we never did it. So how do we, how do we break that loop? Nice. Okay. Number two, uh, there's some absolutes in this one too. Is that? Most of these do have them in there. So they have that common denominator. Uh, so this one is, is very specific to dentistry. There's never been a day that turned out the way it was scheduled. So why do we bother talking about the schedule at all? Oh, I love, I love that one. That is so that is so good. Um, I, I think a lot of this is admitting the nature of dentistry. So because we deal with people, like people are challenging, people change. And so like one that I'd use from the book in this exact situation is momentum is messy. Momentum is messy. So we set out a course um, and we, we try to stick to that to the best of our abilities, but we understand momentum is messy. One that another, another friend just gave me the other day is he said, you can have controller growth. You get one, controller growth. So if we try to control every part of the day, we will feel like failures every day. So acknowledge that, like we acknowledge that. So we want growth. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to set the table. We're going to, you know, establish some norms and some boundaries, but we're going to understand that anytime you deal with humans, things go differently than you plan. So to me, that one specifically sounds like a perfectionism soundtrack. And I would try to get them to understand, like people feel like failures and go home feeling like failures if they thought it would go the exact same way and it didn't. And then the next day, same thing, same thing, same thing. So as a leader, I would try to set the stage that, remember, here's our plan and things change. Things like, it kind of reminds me of that old, it's a Mike Tyson quote, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Like you're actually dealing with mouths. Like, you have an emergency phone number. Anytime your business has an element of emergency, you should never be like, it's so weird. People call the emergency phone. I get like, <laughs> I had on this schedule, 
like two weeks ago, I knew that guy would get hit in the mouth of the baseball. Like we planned it ahead. So like, that's the other thing, like your ability to call out some of the humor of that, of like, Hey, can anybody put down on the schedule, the emergencies we're going to deal with a month from now? Does anybody know, like, is there a car crash? You guys getting any sense of like a car crash or like somebody's going to break a tooth on an egg roll. Like you guys got that, like admit it, like have some fun with it. But yeah, that's what I would say is that we make the best plan we can. And then we respond accordingly. And, and John, I'll say that our best practices, they schedule emergencies in advance. In other words, they schedule time for emergencies. So when the emergency happens, like it always does, yeah. They have time to accommodate. They leave right. margin. They leave margin for emergencies because life is full of emergencies. You got it. Okay, here's the next one, and some of these could apply to almost any business, but this one, uh, this one we hear a lot. We never get out of here on time at the end of the day. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so here's what I'd say. There, um, I would say let's gather some evidence. So my soundtrack there would be evidence beats emotion. Evidence always beats emotion. So if we're all feeling like we're knocking out on time, let's look at the numbers. Like let's together look at that and say, okay, well, we're not like, wow, every, you know, we're consistently not, what do we want to do to change that? How do we change that collectively? Um, That, you know, to me, that's what I would say. Again, whenever somebody says never, um, I always want to go, well, let's get a number with that. When somebody says all our pay, like, so many people are mad at our practice so many or the two you ran into like if it's so many if it's a thousand we got to do something if we're talking about one person that's a different we come up with a different plan but for me i the first thing i would do is go i'm sorry you feel that way i know like it's we all want to get out of here on time let's look at that is it a habit is it something that just started happening recently is it a cultural norm like because you know what's the like is it a misset of expectations like you know, is it that we expected five and it's always six? Well, that's an hour different. That's not fun. But can we flex 10 plus 10 minus 10? Like, what does that look like? I would I would lean into that with like the soundtrack I'd use there is evidence beats emotion. So let's go get some evidence. Like, let's let's look at it, because what it does is it tells everyone at the office this matters to you as a leader, like yeah. versus you going, it's fine. No, we, like, it's fine. Like you go. And again, a lot of these things. I don't want to be dismissive of that. They're easy. They take two seconds. Like you're already busy. Nobody who's like running a dental office is like, Oh, I was looking for more stuff to do. Like I already had, I didn't have enough. Like, so the question though is, okay, does this matter enough for me to fix it? If it doesn't matter, like if it's not, then then don't fix it. But if it matters, go, okay, I'm going to work on this thing. I'm not going to work on all 12 of these all at once. Cause you'll never do them. But the getting out of the office on time, I think would have a huge ROI. Like one of my, one of a soundtrack that I'd give every, every, you know, dentist is ROI over EGO choose ROI over EGO. So when somebody tells you something and your ego flares up, which is part of owning a business, go, wait a second. What's the ROI. If I listen to this, if I fix this, I get more engaged, you know, employees, there's better retention. There's all these ROI benefits that the ego is going to tell me react anger in anger or like, we always get out of here on time. Stop being ungrateful. You're lucky to have a job. Like none of that serves you in the long run. So aim for ROI, not EGO. Perfect. Okay. So I love, I love that measure it. If it's important enough, then figure out a work on it. We can measure it. And if it's true that we never get out of here, on time, <laughs> we got to fix that. You got it. 
Okay, right. here's Wait. the next one. This, this refers to a, a previous work of yours, uh, common uttered. We never reach our goals, so why do we set them? <laughs> doctor yeah. always sets unreasonable goals, so why even try? Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that's a, a, that's a doctor who's not good at goal setting. So if you, you know, and here's the other thing, some high-performing doctors um, will say, okay, our goal is, let's say a revenue goal. Our goal is a million. And they do 1.1 and they go, could have been 1.3. So they move the goalposts and they never celebrate. Like high performing people suck at celebrating, like, cause they're already on to the next thing. And their yeah. office knows it and the office is excited and they're like, are we gonna get a cake? And they're already on to the next goal. So the first thing I'd say there is, again, like evidence is so helpful here. If you, if you continually miss them, then you should decide, okay. Do we need to set a lower goal, which isn't lazy? It actually pays you longer benefits because people are excited. Um, do you need to smet, set smaller goals along the way? One goal isn't enough. Like you need, you know, whether it's, okay, we need, like you do what I call shrink the year. You shrink the year and go, okay, here's our big goal. How do we shrink that to a month or a quarter or a week or a day? Um, and then, yeah, if I was consistently missing them, I might have to say, remember, this is our stretch goal this is our, we'll feel great about this. Like when I release a book, I have three goals. Like this is our bare minimum. We're going to get to this line. This one right here would be amazing. This one is crazy. But if you only give people the crazy goal, because you think the only way to get any production out of these people is to make it impossible, then you create an environment where people go, oh, great, the impossible goal we're not going to hit. I'm not going to trust this at all. Got it. Perfect. <clears throat> okay, here's the next one. And, and this one, this is universal application, uh, including with your kids at home. Ah, there you go. Uh, the soundtrack is, it's not fair. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, I, we always go, we always settle our kids like, it, it's not fair. Like my exercise there is, well, let's pull the thread. What do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what's the thing you didn't get that you felt like you deserved? Um, I always tell people, ask the question behind the question. So when you say it's not fair, um, like maybe what you're going to say is that hygienist got a promotion that I wanted. Um, and you go, oh, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. Like, what does that mean? And, and maybe you go, well, and she's less qualified than I am, or he's less qualified than I am. And you go, well, what's really going on there? And if you pull the thread enough, it might be, I don't stand up for myself enough. I wish I was braver. They're doing more with less and that makes me jealous. And you go, whoa, now we've got some, like a jealous situation going on. We can identify that. We can work on that. Not fair is too vague. And so the first thing I would do is I would try to sit down with a person and go, when you say that, what do you mean? What are the things you, you think you didn't get that other people got? And if they said, well, Here's what I want. Then I could know their desires. And then I can take those desires and tie them to goals. You can't do any work with that's not fair. Like, and here's the other thing I would say is like criticism that costs nothing is worth nothing. So if you blurt out, that's not fair, you haven't put any energy into that. Let's put some energy into that. So we know what it is. It's worth something and we can actually fix it. Um, I mean, the shortcut people want to say in that word, like, of course, it's not fair. The world's not fair. Like, or I've heard managers that I, I think this is so unhealthy go, you know what you were getting into when you signed up here. We told you what this was like. That's so toxic. So I'd much rather you go, well, tell me some more about that. Like, 
none of your team will be mad. You listen, like you'll never get criticized for like, I hate that dentist. He's so good at listening. I hate that dentist. I made an, uh, like a statement and then he asked follow-up questions and it seemed like he genuinely cared. I hate that about people when they genuinely care. So if somebody told me that's not fair, I would go, well, let, let's start to define that. Like, what do you feel like fair looks like? Or what's the, that, like, is it that somebody got more time off? Is it, you know, is it, they got bigger perks than you? I would always try to get the question behind the question answered. Perfect. All right, I'm going to group these next three together because they all have to do with change. So they are, uh, we tried that before and it didn't work. Uh, or this is the way we've always done it. Or just simply that won't work. Yeah, so one thing that's really fascinating is that sometimes the person that has the hardest time accepting the new change is the person who's amazing at your office and you go but that that doesn't make sense it does though because they're amazing at the old way they have more to lose by learning the new way people who are average at the old way can't wait to get rid of the old way let's do the new way so sometimes what surprises dentists is they go this is one of my top performers they're amazing how come they're so resistant to the new way and so that's where you have to one give them some space like give them some space so in a situation like that i'd go when somebody says it's not, the new way is not working. Like it's not working. I go, well, how long have we tried it? And they're going to say, we've tried it for three months. How long have we done the old way for three years? So it took us three years to get really proficient at the old way. And now we're measuring the new way against three months. That's how everybody does diets. People on diets go, this exercise isn't working. How long you've been doing it? 10 days. How long did it take you to gain the weight? 10 years. So never give the problem a year and the solution a week. So I might come alongside them and go, wait a second. Remember, this is, this is a process. And what happens, the soundtrack that I'd give them in that moment is I'd say, be a tourist. Like we're in a new space, like be a tourist, ask some questions. Let's, you know, let's figure this out. Um, you know, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. Like you're so comfortable with the old way. You can't measure the new way against that standard of comfort. Like there's going to be some discomfort. That's okay. That's not failure. People who are proficient at their jobs, find that like discomfort feels like failure and it's not failure. Um, and the other thing is they, they, they fall into that absolute mind, mindset again, where they go, everything has to change. The new way is forever. Um, none of my previous skills will help. So they get this like absolute mindset. You go, no, no, no. A lot of the things you're already good at are going to translate to this new way. A lot of the things we're going to bring them in. So how do we, you know, how do we bring those old things into the new way? Um, and then, you know, your job as a leader is to present the benefits of the change. Like why, you know, not just because I said to change, like that never works in any type of leadership where like, you know, as a parent, you're at the end, if you go, cause I'm dad, like if you have to pull that card, it, nothing else has gone well. So as a leader, you have to go, okay, I need to show them the benefit of this change in a way that helps them understand the change so that they can embrace the change. And I need to set a realistic timetable for the change. As a leader, it's so tempting to want to be like, I flip a switch. Like you guys, like, let's go. Like, and a lot of times, here's the other thing. The leader's been thinking about the change for three months and they sit down in a meeting and they expect the staff to have the same understanding they gave themselves three months to develop. 
That's so unfair as a leader. You, I mean, that doesn't work in relationships. If you've got a husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, you've been thinking about something for four weeks and you bring it up and go, I can't believe you don't understand this. You thought about it for four weeks. They've, they've heard it for 40 minutes. And so I think as a leader, you've got to give them some time. Perfect. Okay. So here's the next one. And this will be the last one in the list uh, because this is associated with that. Uh, scenario is you as a thought leader, John, have made some recommendations for our organization. I'm going to give you the, this hypothetical. And I, as the leader, I say, well, thanks for the suggestions, John. <clears throat> Let me run this by the team and see what they think. I mean, they're, they're really good ideas. Let, uh, let me run it by them and see what they think. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess my, my hope there would be um, that the recommendations I made are with the team. I, you know, here's the thing. Part of my job is to make the leader's job easy. So if, if a leader said, hey, we want to change some things, we need you as a thought leader, help us with that. I'd say, well, let's have the team involved. Because what happens again is I give you you know, I work for a month on these recommendations. I present them three different times. And then I essentially say, good luck telling your team. And then the leader who might not be a natural communicator, like might be an introvert, might've gotten into dentistry because they like things quiet, whatever has to then go try to translate and convince the team that this is a good idea. So to the best of our abilities, I mean, that doesn't always work because you need things moving, but a lot of times train, like when people do crown council, they bring their whole office. Why do they bring their whole office? Because then the leader doesn't have to go, hey, I just went to this 10-hour event and here's the notes I took. I took half a page of notes. I hope you exactly get what I learned at the event. Like what did Dr. Wells do at the last Crown Council? They rented a place in Key West and they went. And they as a team watched Crown Council because learning as a team makes team you know, execution so much easier. All right. Thanks for uh, <clears throat> letting us put you on the spot. That's uh, fun. Are, I love it. Those are just a few and not specific to dentistry, all of them, but organizational in general. If you were going to make <clears throat> a recommendation based on all the research that you've done for soundtracks, uh, what would be the, the call to action, the thing you would say, man, this is, this is something that everybody ought to do, especially those that have listened to us today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing would be to understand you have the permission and the power to change the way you think. And when you do, it opens up so much of the world. Even my most high-performing type A friends who lay out their clothes the night before they go to the gym because it means they'll go, don't choose their thoughts ahead of time. They don't go, hey, I've got a difficult you know, client coming in, here's the soundtracks I want, or I've got a difficult staff meeting, here's the soundtracks I want. They, they just let their thoughts show up casually and then they don't go well. So for me, the number one thing I'd say is you get to choose and create your thoughts. And when you do, it will change your actions. It will change your results. It will change your leadership. It will change your office. Um, and that's where, and I think it's a hundred percent possible. I really do. So next steps, if you want to change your sound tracks, the book is entitled Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking, and it's everywhere. Yep. You don't have to everywhere books it's are everywhere. sold. Yep. Everywhere where books are sold, and in yep. some places where books aren't sold.
Yeah, gas. So, I'll be in gas stations. If a gas station wants to carry this, just slide into those DMs. Let's do it. Bring it on. Uh, so uh, one of the recommendations, this is, uh, this is a great piece of work, John, great research, and something that would be worth an entire team read and discussion. It has personal application. It has organizational application, as you mentioned today, to re-script the soundtracks in the organization, in the office, and, and do that very consciously. What are the soundtracks that aren't productive? If we were the best, what would our soundtracks be? Some great applications there that you've shared with us today. So uh, great opportunity for some uh, high level team work uh, to raise team performance and individual performance to, to a top level. So thank you uh, once again uh, for your continued repeat performances uh, with the Crown Council. We appreciate your Gold wisdom. Jacket, man. Yeah, that's yeah, it. The answer is yes. When you guys ask, the answer is always yes. I love what you do. Um, I love, again, love Dr. Wells. My mom's been a hygienist for 40 years. So it's always fun when I've got that much real overlap. Um, and so, yeah, the next time you're in Nashville, I'd, I'd love to see you guys. Sounds good. Thank you, John. Appreciate you Thanks. being our mentor of the month today. <laughs>